Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie Swedberg. Excited to have you with us this afternoon for another edition of Marnie's Friends. And we're looking forward to a great time this afternoon. We're going to be bringing on some pre-records of a guest, Liana Sinquinta, who spends a lot of her time in India and is right now, in fact, in India. But she did me the honor of doing a pre-record with me before she left. Liana is an author, speaker, and the founder of Tell Asia Ministries. Her work in Asia has resulted in over 100,000 salvations annually, for several years and thousands of children rescued out of slavery. She's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. First, though, we're going to talk today about how to prepare for a speaking trip to India. Some of the things you're going to discover during this next hour are the three things that you need to think about before you say yes. Also, um, the four-step formula and some travel hacks for long international flights, (laughs) three types of missionaries, three facts and five tips to know before you plan your trip to India. Also, what to expect if you go to an Indian village, strategies to help you handle culture shock, and how to deliver high-impact preaching in developing nations. And again, like I said, Liana's going to be joining us by uh, audio in just a few moments. But before she does, I wanted to share with you the three things that I hope you'll think about before you say yes to a speaking invitation to India or to any third world nation. Or actually, you might even say to anywhere <laughs> because it does really apply and you'll find that though some of these things are very specific to third world countries and specific to India, a lot of these concepts will be the same no matter where you go, no matter what God has called you to do. As many of you know, we just returned from a trip to India in uh, a few weeks back and had a wonderful time. And these are three of the things that I was glad that I knew about before I went, as always, and I just wanted to share these with you. I'm going to talk after that a little bit about our trip, and then we'll go on and hear from Liana um, during the rest of the hour. So three things to think about before you say yes. Number one, are you personally the one to go, or are you just uh, committed to getting the gospel to the land of India or whatever country you're thinking about specifically right now? So, for example, uh, you may have this passion for India. You may have this passion for even a specific uh, state or city or village or tribe in India. The question comes, are you the one that's supposed to actually do the going or are you the one that's supposed to do the sending? Like, are you supposed to pray for someone else and support someone else to go or are you the one that's supposed to go? Those are two very different callings, and yet sometimes they get confused because you just aren't clear that there are two callings, and there are. Back in, in uh, David's time, there was a battle where he and a bunch of men went after some renegades who had taken all the women and the children and all the supplies and all their bounty, and they had run off with them. And 
When David came back victorious, the men who fought the battle said they got all the money. And David said, no, we're going to divide it evenly with the guys who stayed with, stayed with the supplies and the guys who went out and fought. Because God was teaching us a principle in that story that the reward for the person who goes is just as great as the reward for the person who stays behind and does the sending, does the watching, does the praying, does the supporting. So just when you're praying about it, make sure that you are actually being called to go instead of being called to pray and send. The second thing I hope you'll think about before you go, before you say yes, is whether or not the organization is for you. At womenspeakers.com, we receive many international invitations, and many of them are from organizations who want to bring in a speaker, but many of them are from organizations who really don't need a speaker. They really need a sponsor. And they don't have this clear in their head. They're not trying to be deceitful. Um, there are people who scam. That's a different category. This is an organization on the ground, maybe in India, who has a ministry going and they need a sponsor. They're looking for someone to come in and fund their ministry, stand with them in prayer, adopt some of the children. You know, I mean, they're really looking for a lot more than a speaker is equipped to give. And so before you say yes to an organization, you want to make sure that the organization is, in fact, uh, the one for you. You want to find out if this is the group that wants you to come as a speaker. And if they are looking for support, is that you? Can you do that? And maybe you can. Maybe God has equipped you to be the full, full meal deal. <laughs> but if God is just calling you to be a speaker, you want to be careful not to commit to going when what they really need is a sponsor. So what we do at womenspeakers.com, when we get an international invite in, we always vet them using a it's a form that we have them fill out to help us understand if they need a sponsor or if they need a speaker. If you are being invited to speak internationally and you're not sure how to vet them, just go ahead and use the contact form at womenspeakers.com at the bottom. You can click on contact us and uh, we'll send you a copy of that vetting form so that you understand um, the, questions, the type of questions to ask before you say yes and commit. So then once you have vetted the organization, you're like, yes, yes, yes. You know, we see eye to eye scripturally. Um, our, our mission and our passion is the same. I'd love to go and speak. The third question that you need to ask before you say yes is, am I fully funded myself? Okay. So not only might the mission need a sponsor and not a speaker, maybe you as a speaker need a sponsor other than just the mission that you're going to. So what I mean by that is typically they're going to provide for your airfare, and your housing on the ground. Um, I've, we've been hosted by amazing organizations that pay for every last thing. You don't even you know, think about your bottled water or anything, all the way to organizations who really couldn't afford the airfare. So just know that you're going to have to think internationally. You're probably looking at a, I mean, a really, 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 really cheap trip would be $3,000. Um, and 5000 would probably be an average cost of a trip to go speak. And so if they're not going to pick up all the funding for that, where are you going to get the funding? And um, you just want to think that through before you say yes, because that way once you're there, you can focus 100% on ministry instead of trying to focus on, you know, I'm running out of money or where am I going to, you know, where am I going to get the money for my next meal or whatever. You have to consider things like you're going to have to get some shots probably. You're probably going to want to get um, a volunteer card, which is um, an in-country insurance policy so that if you do need a hospital while you're there, someone would be able to treat you. Those are the kind of things that I hope that you'll think about before you say yes 
to an international speaking trip, especially to a third world country. I'm going to, before I bring Liana's information on, I'm going to go ahead and share with you a few of the things that we accomplished while we were in India. We were there for 12 days, and we designed and delivered 23 individual programs that were presented by me through interpreters. My husband also did programs in addition to that. We were navigating multiple audience types from the various very poorest people who were completely illiterate and really knew nothing about God, all the way um, up to leadership of national organizations and government officials. So when you are preparing your presentations, I encourage you to think through that there would be something in each presentation for each level of skill that's going to be present in the room. This happened again when I was in Africa doing the um, business women's uh, programs. I was working with people who had never even thought of doing a business until they saw the registration form and decided to attend to people who had large international businesses. How do you communicate to an audience that is that diverse? Well, the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit is communicating through you the whole time you're talking. And so there's a big hope for you to be able to accomplish this task successfully. But then also because you are preparing with that in mind, you're preparing to go and speak to a wide range of audiences. And if you find yourself, like uh, just recently in India here, found myself in front of a very intellectual audience uh, of all English speakers. So they, they all had, um, they were there either learning English as a second language or they already have learned it and were just practicing their English, which is why they came. And I could give them a, a more high level uh, presentation than I'm going to give at a village church where, where the, nobody in the building has a Bible of their own Nobody speaks English, hardly anybody reads. Obviously, the, different in, the difference in the content is going to be really important. So you want to really think that through. Also, um, while we were there, uh, we were able to attract and minister to ministry leaders from over 100 villages and tribes. This is in 12 days. And so just be prepared that you're going to see a lot, meet a lot, go a lot, do a lot. This was, a, this was an intense trip. Uh, my trips simply are intense like that because that's how I like to schedule them. I like to schedule them really full <laughs> so I can uh, meet and, and affect as many people as possible while my boots are on the ground. But yours may not be that way. Yours may be very laid back. And one of the things, you know, Leanne, I was going to talk about in a few minutes is, you know, the time difference and how you have to really think differently about time and about priorities and about goals and expectations. Um, one of the things that is possible when you go is, is that you have the ability to affect not only the people you're ministering to, but also the ministry team. And this is one of my, my main focuses personally, and I encourage you to consider it as you go, not to become bossy or preachy in any way, but just remember that your life is an example, how you are communicating with God as you go through your day, how you are greeting people, whether you're on stage or up, whether you're if with team members or visiting with someone you're walking down the alley past. Whatever you're doing, they're watching. And you are ministering to them your daily dependent relationship with Christ as you're there. And you will not know until the end how that affects them. You may never know how that affects them until heaven. Just know that they are watching and they're paying attention to you. How you live, how you move, how you breathe, how you pray, how you speak, how you treat people, all of that is being taken note of by all of the people who are watching you. And watch you they will because most of the time you will be the only white faces there. You and your group, there will probably be no other way. But when we were in, once we got to the 
city we were stationed in for our 12 days. We never saw another white person the whole time we were there. Um, so just know you do stick out and you will be noticed. So again, are you are you the one to go? Are you ready to go? Are you ready for that kind of um, pressure? Are you ready for that kind of privilege? Are you ready for that kind of attention spiritually? Are, are you ready? Is this what God is calling you to do? And if he is, then run right to it with him. And if he's not calling you, then you don't want to go. I can promise you, you really don't want to go if God's not calling you to it. Um, some of the things that we did on our trip, we provide morning sessions and prayer time with indigenous tribal missionaries, which was just amazing. Um, one of the tribal pastors that we met had come from a village or a tribe that actually did human sacrifices. And um, I mean, it's just crazy when you think about the difference in here to there. You know, I mean, the culture shock is pretty huge. The time difference is, of course, going to make a difference to your body. There's all kinds of things going on. The food is different. Uh, you want to be careful, you know, never to drink their water or even to brush your teeth with their water, to always use bottled water because our systems here are not, not built for the kind of, of um, bugs they've got over there. And so you just, you'll, you'll get sick right away if you aren't careful. There's a lot of things to consider, which is why we're having this program today. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed on this most recent trip was I got time to work one-on-one -on -one with the CSU marketing manager. We were brainstorming, ideating, and doing some hands-on computer training. Whatever God has equipped you to do, watch for opportunities to use that while you're there. Just keep your eyes and ears open. Um, one of the things when we were in the main office at the CSU headquarters, which stands for Christian Service Unit, unit um, when we were there, uh, we were in the main office, and I asked, I asked one of the guys who was in administration if they had any kind of support for women's business programs, like a microfund or training or anything. And he said, yes, we have a microfund. In fact, there's a lady right now in the lobby who's coming to pay on her microfund. So just to put this into perspective, she was coming to make a 50 cent, five zero pennies <laughs> payment on her microloan uh, for her, the business that her and her mother had started. They were able to buy a couple chickens and they were selling the eggs. And every month she would come in and pay 50 cents on her loan. So you just have to kind of get your head around, you know, the different sizes of things, the different time of things, the different ways things flow. And if you get your head and your heart where God has these people living, then you'll be able to bring them a truly unique message, something that someone from their own country could not bring them because they have never lived in your shoes. You've been uniquely equipped to go and share what God has taught you. And that's why he's sending you. And so go with full heart and full, you know, full uh, confidence that God is equipping you to go, but then remember to step into their world. Don't try to drag them into yours. You're not going to do it. You're one person and they're you know, hundreds or however many you're going to. So don't try to drag them into your world. Instead, step into theirs with whatever message God has put into your heart. We're going to take a real quick break. Come back and talk about the four-step formula for an enjoyable flight, as well as some secret hacks for long international flights, uh, three types of missionaries, and also three facts to know before planning your missionary trip to India. We'll be right back. Well, it seems we have a little glitching going on here. And unfortunately, I'm not sure how to stop it. <laughs> so hang on one second here. I'm not sure what you're hearing either. <laughs> so sorry. Give us a moment.
Well, if you can still hear me, it seems like there's a little glitch with Blog Talk Radio. Um, it's offline right now. I actually call in to do these programs, so that's why you can still hear me. And hopefully, um, here we go. It seems like we're coming back into the land of the living. Let's see if we can take that break and come right back. We'll, we'll try it one more time here. Do you ever need a guest speaker? Or maybe you're a speaker who's available to go. Check out womenspeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world since 2002. Connecting thousands of planners with over 1,300 speakers, speakers are available to you from every state, denomination, experience level, and fee range. You simply search when you have time, anytime, day or night, and connect directly with the speakers that interest you. No middlemen, no hidden fees. It's all simple, easy, enjoyable, and online. Check it out today at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie. And again, apologies for the little glitch. Every once in a while, we just have uh, something go on that's beyond our control, and that's okay. Uh, God's in control. We love that. And it's a great lesson, actually. When you travel internationally, be prepared for um, lots to go wrong, for lots of things to not work out just like you planned. One of the things that um, I've learned is that Typically, their technology is not anywhere near ours. Okay, so I'm using a state-of-the-art to bring you this blog talk radio show. We're using state-of-the-art uh, stuff here, and we still have glitches. If they ask you to bring high-tech stuff, most of the time you're going to spend most of your speaking time getting it ready. So oftentimes it's okay to bring it, but then if you find the first time that it's not working well or they're not equipped to do it, then go ahead and go back to something simpler. Uh, go back to speaking without PowerPoints or whatever it is. Be prepared to be flexible and be prepared also for the lights to go off during the middle of a program. That's happened multiple times, um, actually everywhere I've gone. Uh, internationally, at some point the generator fails or the electricity fails and you just keep on talking in the dark. Uh, usually somebody has a cell phone with you know, a flashlight they can use for a little while or whatever, <laughs> they sometimes have to go get gasoline to the next city, you know, to bring back the generator, whatever it is, just know you're going to keep on, you're going to keep on going. You're just going to smile, trust God, and just keep on plugging away. Okay, that's right. We're going to share our first clip with Leanna Sinquinta. I'm so excited to introduce her to you. We had a chance to talk before we started recording, and uh, she, she started sharing such good stuff. I said, stop, stop. Let's get the recorder going. So here we go with Leanna Sinquinta of... Um, of TellAsia.org. Well, welcome, Leanna. It's so great to have you here today. Uh, you, you, one of the things that we were talking about is that these long flights can be really <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> and, That's right. Uh, I, have a, I have a little hack of my own, which I'm going to share. But first, you have a four-step formula and a secret hack for long international flights that you wanted to share. So why don't you go ahead with that four-step formula first? Sure. Thanks, Marnie. Well, yeah, it's a long ways from anywhere in the United States to the middle of India. And I know the same for other places over there like Africa. Um, well, the first thing is to remember to, when you get in your boarding pass, ask for an aisle seat. Still be one available. And that, first of all, saves you from getting a middle seat, which not many people want. And um, in a long international flight, you're, it's, it's dark out there or else you're so high up in the air, you're not going to see much out that window anyway. 
Um, and you have the ability to get up whenever you want if you are on the aisle. Uh, so that is my preference. Some people that can really sleep well in an airplane do prefer the window so that the other people aren't waking them up to get out. If you can sleep really good, hey, go for that window seat. And also if, uh, if you don't mind climbing over everybody else to get out. Uh, but if you're like me and it's hard to sleep and you want to get up and walk around a lot, um, get that aisle seat. Number two, um, bring a pillow a small pillow for the small of your back. The little pillow they give you on the airplane is not very substantial. And so I like to bring a, a really good stuffy pillow, a little small one that fits in the small of your back. And you would be amazed at how easily you can sit for many, many hours with that um, back brace there hmm. and uh, really helps you uh, to not have back pain. Number three, don't depend on the blanket that they're going to give you on the flight. Um, bring your own. And bring a substantial, a little bit more substantial one or a light one that you can add to the one they give you. Because quite often, once uh, you're up in that, uh, they got that AC on and you're trying to sleep and your body temperature goes down, uh, you feel a little chilly even with the one they give you or your feet stick out the end if you actually get a place to lay down, which is getting over onto my little secret hack that's coming next, okay. Um, but, yeah, bring your blanket. Um, that's also useful if you've got a long layover. You can always put that blanket down on the ground, on the floor, and lay down on the floor during that long layover if you've got that blanket. Uh, you any, any comments before I move on? No, that's great. Is that what well, that that okay. was the third one, right? The blanket? That was number three. Yeah, we got okay. number one, get that aisle seat. Number two, bring a back pillow. Number three, bring your own blanket. Small one, not so not to take up your whole your whole satchel. Number four is one I just recently discovered that has really helped me out. Now I am a little bit of a fitness freak. And um, I have discovered that if you not only get up and stretch your legs on the airplane, but you actually go in back there by those by the um, lavatories, and there's a pretty big space back there on these big flights, you can jog in place, you can do knee bends, you can do jumping jacks, you can do push-ups. I have actually had people almost climb over me while I was doing my push-ups back there <laughs> to get their, their <laughs> pathway to the lavatory. <laughs> um, but you would be amazed at what a little bit of actual aerobic exercise and strength exercise. In fact, I've got rubber bands, you know, those strength rubber bands. I'll bring mm -hmm. those on the airplane with me. And I will actually weight lift. Uh, and do my stretches with those rubber bands, and there I've got my aerobic jogging in place, plus I got a little bit of strength, and boy, I come off that plane feeling just fresh as anything. Um, if nothing else, awesome. it'll help you sleep better when you sit back down in the seat. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to share mine in a second. What's your hack? Okay, i got to give you number five. Is, is, oh, there's If five. none of that works, <laughs> okay. Uh, and I have to admit, 16-hour flights are a very long time to be up there in that plane. Uh, if none of that works, make sure you've got your Advil. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what, uh, when do you, when really do you take it? 
Yeah, when yes, do you I, take I it? have restless leg. I'm a horse. Used to be a horse trainer and mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. injured my lower back uh, riding the wrong kind of horse. Um, <laughs> and um, so I get restless leg, which is where your legs just get all jumpy if you sit too long. And boy, that makes you miserable. But a, one little Advil takes care of it, and I can sit uh, comfortably. Sometimes it takes two or three Advils. Um, <laughs> usually it helps. Um, but it's just nice to have on hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great tip. And there's a, there's a number six. Oh, oh, I had four, and I had five and six. Oh, um, that's well, okay. <laughs> if, if you can work along, if you if you really like to just try to stay up the whole time, um, bring an external power supply for your laptop, and then your laptop won't run out of juice, and you can just keep working. Right. Oh, that's such a great idea yeah. too. Yeah. And don't forget when you're packing to pack your adapters because it's different. There's a good one. Yeah. Different overseas. Okay. So my little tips for you. First of all, I also have I call them creepy knees. <laughs> yeah. Um, Advil. I haven't tried Advil, but I have to get muscle relaxants from my doctor that have helped me to make these flights without a lot of discomfort. Otherwise, I would go at Absolutely, start craving that. I am one of those sleepers. I'm a sleeper, so I get a window seat, and I use half a tablet of Dramamine. And taken early for me, that knocks me out completely. And I have a nice, um, nice long at the beginning of the flight, which makes the flight so much shorter. I also like to take books on cassette on or books on MP3 now on my phone. Uh, You can download those from the library. Or, um, you know, obviously you can pay for them from Audible, but your library has thousands of them available, and you can find some really great books on audio to listen to. That helps the time pass. And also I wanted to mention shoes, because sometimes on a long flight like that, your feet will swell a little bit. And if you wear very tight-fitting shoes, you might have a problem. Um, so wear kind of a looser-fitting or a shoe with a tie or something like that. Anything I'm triggering here for you? Those are good ones. I might, I might just try that Dramamine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> but I, I'm the kind of person that gets knocked out by something like that. So it's easy for me to just fall asleep for a long time. All right, we're going to talk about one of the things you wanted to share, which I thought was a really cool thing. You actually have three different types of missionary. And I'm so curious to hear what you're going to say. Okay. Well, um, and this kind of ties into how God spoke to me very clearly when he sent me to go to northern India, Um, and I had been trained as a typical missionary, Um, and so I was thinking I was going to go over there and just be the traditional foreign missionary and going to learn the language and spend a couple years, you know, trying to figure things out, and then I was going to be the white face out there among all the brown faces in those villages hearing about Jesus and probably doing children's, working with the children and rescuing the girls and whatnot. And so that was my vision um, when uh, the Lord showed me to go there. And uh, and I got on the plane with a one-way ticket and went over there. But as I was there, God showed me something different. He said, I don't want you to be a traditional missionary and that's when I came to understand three different types. There's the traditional cross-cultural missionary that we're all, anybody in missions is, is, thinks of as, that's the de- definition of a missionary is you, usually someone from a more evangelized area leaves their home area and goes to a foreign country or a 
cross-cultural environment where they don't know the language and it's a different culture and typical cross-cultural missionary. That's missionary type number one, cross-cultural traditional understanding of a missionary. But then there's close cultural. Now, close cultural missionary is someone who is not quite as cross-cultural as a total foreigner. For example, um, you would have like in India sometimes someone from South India, which is very well evangelized in South India, they will come to Northern India as a missionary to reach the very unreached part in the North. You could have the same in Africa uh, where it's much more evangelized in the South, but the people are similar in facial features and in some cases in language, much more similar to those in the North than you or I from America would be. That's close cultural. Speaking of Asia, it might be the same. I know there's some areas of China that are a lot of Christians and other areas that are very unreached. Um, and they have different dialects in those. So there's close cultural if someone goes to that less evangelized area of their own country or continent. And finally, you have indigenous. And the indigenous missionary is the really the closest we can get to the biblical model. Believe it or not, it's very hard to find an example of a cross cultural or even close cultural missionary in the Bible. Almost everyone was sent was native people sent to their own people. From Abraham to Moses to Joseph, um, all the way to Jesus, um, and being a Jew sent to the Jews, and the disciples were all Jews. It took God calling a Gentile to reach the Gentiles. Believe it or not, Paul, who we understand was a Jew, but he was the the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Gentile himself. He was raised among Gentiles, and so he was basically indigenous to the Gentiles, and that was one reason he was so effective in bringing the gospel to the non-Jewish people. And so when we want to do strategic missions, our goal, if we are across cultural missionary, our goal is going to be to raise up the indigenous people to reach their own. That is the most strategic way for us to, um, the three, all three types are important, um, but the cross-cultural missionaries' primary uh, work today is to raise up the indigenous missionary to be the one to reach their own people. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, moving forward, we want to cover uh, the three facts to know before planning your ministry trip to India. So why don't you share those with us? Okay. Um, and if, if you have a heart and a vision for India uh, and you're listening right now, I really encourage you to consider what I'm going to share here. Um, I would have just gone anywhere in India, like most folks go, wherever they get the first contact with a a person, uh, often an Indian who pastor who says, come and help my church and help my orphanage. And they usually end up going to the far south. And what first thing that people need to know in their going to India is the south of India has had the gospel since the time of Apostle Thomas uh, 2,000 years ago. Very well evangelized uh, compared to the north. 
uh, when God spoke to me in 1993, he showed me a dream. Three nights in a row, I got the same dream, and I saw the demons ruling over the whole nation of not only India, Nepal, Pakistan, Bangladesh, the whole subcontinent of Asia was being ruled from the northern region of India. turns out that's the birthplace of both Hinduism and Buddhism. For the whole of Asia, really the two main uh, religious um, groups uh, that are um, prevalent in all of Asia, in northern India, you want to do something strategic, do something in the north part of India. 0.01% Christian when I went there um, in 1996 is when I started. Today we got it up to about 2%, but that's just a good start. Number two, okay, number two, um, the, the India is called the poisonous hub of sex trafficking in Asia. And so if you're feeling a call to anywhere in India, and you want to help rescue girls out of sex trafficking or stop that from happening, prevent it from happening, you are in the right place. Um, we often think of certain other nations of Asia, Thailand and Cambodia, as being very uh, a lot of trafficking there. That's true. But there's also a lot more activity, anti-trafficking activity there. India is represents one-fifth of the world population, massive population, very porous borders when it comes to the trafficking to the point that there's so much trafficking people don't really can't really get their head around it. Um, and so I encourage you, you're feeling a heart for the girls that are being trafficked in, North, in India in general. You're in the right place. Uh, we need your help there. And number three, um, how, how should you help? If it's your first trip to India, how are you, and you're working with a native pastor or something, how should you engage and help? Do not start with finances. Uh, allow that relationship to develop more before you get involved. That native person might ask for money. If you're working through a reputable international agency um, that has already proven that native person, fine. But the best way you can help is through encouraging them, praying for them, and giving them training, teaching from the word, encouraging them in all different ways. Don't feel pressured. Don't allow yourself to be feel pressured to engage financially right away if you're working directly with a native pastor of any kind in India. Yeah. Such good tips. This is Marnie Swedberg. We are visiting today with Liana Cinquinta of TellAsia.org. We're going to take a short break and come right back. Women's ministry leaders across America rely on womensevents.info to find the major Christian women's events coming to their area. Womensevents.info is the only online directory of its kind featuring all the upcoming major Christian women's events. You are invited to search for events coming near you or to add your own major Christian women's events. Everything's easy and accessible over at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. We're talking today about preparing to travel to India. And our guest today, again, is Liana Cinquinta of TellAsia.org. 
And uh, she is here sharing with us some of her tips and strategies from being in India doing missionary work for several years. Um, Thank you, Liana, so much for being here. Thank you, Marnie. This is wonderful. Good. Well, you actually have five tips for a great trip to a developing nation that I'd like you to share now. Okay. Well, when you're going to a developing nation, wherever that may be in the world, um, one of the top things for us as internationals to remember is there is a lot of bacteria over there that we do not have or uh, have not been exposed to here. And this is kind of a no-brainer. You know, wash your hands um, before you touch food. Uh, stay on bottled water. I know that all sounds uh, kind of basic, um, and but it's it's so important. We've had people come and visit us in India. I want, remember one young man. He was a physical trainer, you know, big, strong, young whippersnapper of a guy. Um, and he came, and he was a, he just graduated from a master of business degree, and he was going to help us upgrade our offices over there. And we're like, wow, great, praise God, this is good, you know. Well, this guy, he when he saw the street vendors, uh, yummy food, and we told him, don't eat that. You're going to get sick. And he, and he, he went out and he ate it. And he got so sick, he was in the hospital, and we finally had to ship him home. He, he was fine, but uh, he, he should have yeah. listened. And you gotta you got to be a little careful what you eat, and uh, that street food looks so good sometimes, but... Uh, only if you're going to work your way through the dilly belly and live, stay there longer, then you can get yourself immune to all that stuff. And uh, when I first went, the Lord had me actually drink the water directly out of the tap. Um, but that's because I was going to be there long term, and I was going to develop all that bacteria to be able to do that. So for you, short-term trip, wash your hands, stay on bottled water, and eat safe food. Um <clears throat> I could go on with many grand stories. <laughs> I have some funny stories about um, things in the food that you wouldn't normally encounter over here. Okay. Um, like cockroaches in my cereal. Yes, mm-hmm. I still ate the cereal after I got the cockroaches out. <laughs> right. Well, okay. and I, think, I think just to pause a second, you know, I think that mm-hmm. we're very Boiled, and I know uh, from traveling myself, the one thing that I recognize so much is that we live in very pristine circumstances in the United States compared to uh, third world countries or you know uh, like India or Africa. It's it's so oh, dusty, yes. so dirty, and we have and they, yet they keep themselves clean, which is astounding to me that you know they they can do that. But at the same time, we are not physically or usually emotionally prepared find mm-hmm. there. Yeah, okay, what's your second Right. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a big one right there is just the, be prepared for the food yeah. um, and the dirt and the um, unhygienic conditions you might, com- might encounter. Um, <clears throat> number two, you know, I'd say slow, just plan on slowing down. Plan on being patient. Things take longer in developing nations, and that's an understatement. Um, I have a little strategy that I have that I use because I'm a person that really likes things to happen. I mean, on time, and uh, I want to be, you know, ten minutes early to the meeting and all that. 
And that's very hard to have that happen in India because, or in other developing nations, especially Africa is another one, or anywhere in Asia, because they are not on standard time. We have, if you're listening from the U.S., you know, we have uh, Eastern Standard Time or Central Daylight Time, and they have Indian Stretchable Time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like a rubber band. It's, there's no real uh, uh, due date or anything. And right. so I say when I land in Delhi, I switch to third gear, and I'm like, my car doesn't go faster than third mm-hmm. gear. I'm just my brain is in third gear now. We're not going beyond 40 miles an hour. And so then, as I go further east. Across the again more into the Gangetic Plain and the the village areas and toward Calcutta, you know I get to the next big cities called Lucknow. Okay, now I just switch to second gear. Things are going to go slower. I've left the big city of Delhi, and I keep going and I get to the to the next big city even further east. This is called the armpit of India, the area called Bihar and Varanasi in that area. I just ditch the car, forget, I'm not even driving a car now, I just get in the bullet cart, and we're just, we'll get there someday, but (laughs) um, put your brain in that really slow gear, and enjoy the ride, and just don't expect everything to happen on time, so there's uh, a point to, um, you know, number three, and some of these are going to overlap with a few of my further future points here, I think, but uh, Um, To have a great trip, you want to engage with the people. Um, You want to try to connect with them at a heart level. And the way you do that, um, I've got a couple more points here. You know, in Asia, most places you go in Asia, if you enter a home, you're going to remove your shoes. And for us, we don't even think about removing our shoes when we go into a home, but uh, in the West, typically. But there, it's it's absolutely the custom, um, just about any home you go in. So kind of have that in your mind to take your shoes off. Um, Number four, learn some of their language. It's amazing how a couple of phrases far that will take you um, in uh, relating and connecting with the people. Um, and then eating methods in, in India, we don't use knife, fork, and spoon. Um, <laughs> we kind of just uh, use our hand. Uh, of course, in Asia, we all know they eat with chopsticks. So uh, take your opportunity whenever you go to that Chinese restaurant, you know, get your get 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 them chopsticks going, so that when you get there, you can show off your chopstick skills, and they will they will appreciate that because they're your you're connecting with their culture. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so great. Um, we're going to jump a little bit here for the sake of time to what to expect if you go to an Indian village. Because I know uh, for me, you know, the differences, the differences mm-hmm. between what we're used to at home and even like a capital <laughs> city are pretty profound. And then when mm-hmm. you make a jump from that to a rural community, and then you make a jump out to a village. So if someone's going to a village for the first time, what would you tell her? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, um, uh, quite often in the Indian village, and I'm not, I, I believe it would be similar in other parts of Asia, also Africa, Um, you are not going to necessarily find flush toilets. You're not going to find even a outhouse. Forget flush toilet. There will not be an enclosure to relieve yourself in. (laughs) 
And so how do we remedy that? Well, what will you, what happens is the, the woman of the house, if you're a female, <clears throat> um, will come to you at 5 o'clock in the morning with a cup of water, and she will lead you out into the field. And you will walk and you will walk out into the field to find a bush. And there she will hand you the cup of water. And since you don't have the language, typically, if it's your first time there, she can't talk to you. So she's using hand signals. And she just kind of hands you the water and points to the bush and turns her back. And, and you're to go there and you're to do your job. Um, what? How do you apply the water with your left hand? There is no soap. Okay, um, <laughs> unless you have planned well in advance and brought, <laughs> and it's not appropriate in those cases to bring a big wad of toilet paper because that's um, unless you stick it in a plastic bag and put it in your purse. If you have really planned ahead, you can avoid the left-hand torture. Um, <laughs> so that's culture shock there for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. number one, no, no, no place to, and then taking the shower. If you're going to stay a few days in the village, you know, it will be there will be minimal privacy. And uh, taking a shower, it'll be just a little curtain, and uh, the kid might poke his head around that curtain right in the middle of your shower. <laughs> so, okay, um, number two, what are you going to sleep on out in that village? Well. They don't have, you know, um, what the Sealy Posturpedic mattresses out there. They don't even have foam. Uh, what you're often going to be sleeping on is a, is a four-legged cot with strings, kind of like a glorified hammock, uh, string uh, kind of woven in there, and it sags. And so you can bet on some good back pain uh, by the time you wake up in the morning. <laughs> and that's the bed uh, often. Sometimes you will get the opposite. You will get a, a rock hard um, piece of plywood on four legs with a little mat about a half an inch thick. And so then you want to wake up with a little bit of sore elbows and hips or shoulders and hips. Um, number three, if you're going to an Indian village, you better count on some bugs, baby. Don't be afraid of them bugs. They're just going to be there. Um, hopefully not in your food, but very likely in your hair. <laughs> um, they're usually rather harmless, and uh, you will survive. You can just brush them off, and uh, they'll you'll be fine. They'll be you better bring your uh, your mosquito spray if if bugs like you, if skeeters like you, because there's lots of skeeters in the evenings. Um, and uh, otherwise. Um, you can bring a mosquito net also if you're going to stay a few days and put that over your bed. Uh, number four, um, definitely want to clean your plate. Again, no utensils. Be prepared for eat with your hand. But the food that is put in front of you, is a, it's a sacrifice for those people quite often. A lot of them live hand to mouth. They have no extra. And they are making a big sacrifice to be able to host you quite often so you definitely want to clean your plate, and that might not be so easy. When they mound the rice up on your plate, enough for Goliath to have um, a good meal. And uh, so there are strategies I have developed for surviving as a five foot ninety pound female in an Indian village when it comes to eating. I don't think I have time to share those right now, but there's ways to get them to put less food on your plate. Okay, um, or to, to scrape some of it off to the guy sitting next to you. 
Um, and and finally, um, number five, definitely count on the on the likelihood of minimal electricity. So again, that welcome back. This is Marnie, and you've joined us today for speakers how to prepare to travel to India. Our guest today, Liana Sinquanta, is from TellAsia.org, and that's T is in Tom Tell T E L L Asia, the country or the um, continent, A S I A dot org. Uh, Liana, next you have a three-step formula for us for high-impact preaching in developing nations. Okay, thank you, Marnie. Yes, well, um, considering that we are seeing hundreds of thousands of people turning to Christ in one of the very most unreached parts of the world, um, it's very exciting for me to share this strategy with you. Um, And it's so simple, and it's just based on the scriptures. Um, When we minister, first of all, we are are working through native people, not foreign missionaries, Uh, and it's the... uh, the native people ministering from their hearts and from their uh, personal testimonies, ministering to their own people. However, when you go, and I believe we're talking in this session a lot about what it, what it, how can you minister when you go and how can you help them and train them, um, you start with the Word of God. Number one, the Word of God is always first. The Scriptures, whatever you share, should be scripturally based and should be should align with the Word of God. That's our pattern. Number two, the Asian people, and especially if you're ministering to the less um, educated uh, people, who are quite often the ones who are coming to Christ in these nations, stories, testimonies, tell your testimony, tell uh, real-life examples um, from your life, from others' lives of how God has impacted, how the living God has revealed himself to you um, and to others. Uh, that's point number two for high-impact preaching in developing nations. Always base it on the Word of God, but then go into the stories. Make it come alive to them. Number three, pray for them and expect the Holy Spirit to show up with healing and deliverance from demons. Um, And and this this is a real, very real thing today. God moves in these ways. If it wasn't for healing, divine healing of the sick and deliverance from demons, people in these Asian nations, they're like, well, how, how do I know Jesus is any better than the idol I'm worshiping right now? But when they've been to the idol temple and they've been to the witch doctor and they're still sick, and then we pray for them in the name of Jesus. They go, oh, Jesus must be the living God. And now they come to a real relationship with him. And so this, you're, when you minister over there, hey, step out in faith. Pray for the sick. And God's going to show up. He's going to heal. The other thing I, that comes to mind right away is that in, in America, there is so much doubt. Um, our, mm. our culture does not as a whole, does not believe in miracles. And it's like Jesus when he said, you know, I really couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Mm-hmm. But when you get into Asia, when you get into India, we find that there's a lot of faith there. And the Holy Spirit is very free to work there <laughs> compared mm-hmm. to what we're used to in, in our fundamental mm-hmm. uh, churches here. And so if, if you go not expecting that, that's a huge shocker because you're just not, I mean, most of our fundamental churches don't have 
healings going on. There's mm-hmm. no deliverance. You know, some of the charismatics do, but but in the United States, if you're coming from more of a fundamental background, this will be a real surprise. But the the reality is, mm-hmm. the beautiful, awesome, powerful reality is that God is alive and well, and where yes. He is active yes. in healing and and showing His signs and wonders. Yes, and it's happening in America and in the West today as well. It is. Uh, part of the problem mm-hmm. is we 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 stay inside our Christian groups and we ask why aren't why don't we have healing or we're not praying for the sick and we ask why don't we have healing? Well, if we would do what Jesus went out where the people were, where the needy people were, and then he 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 prayed for them. And when we do that here and we get out where the needy people are, people are getting healed right here in the West too. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit's just just waiting to to act, and we just got to let Him use us. And so there's just so much potential. No matter where in the world you are, God's the same. Yeah, thank you for that. And the other thing I was thinking too is that God loves to prove Himself to someone who's coming seeking if He's real or not. And a lot mm. of healing is done um, for that purpose to to show this person God's incredible love for them and that He is their he wants to be their Savior and Lord. So just step out by faith and uh, pray believing. That's so great. Uh, Leanna, talk to us uh, about how to maximize the impact of your teaching sessions. Mm, okay. And now this gets over into if you want to make a really big impact, um, what you, you take some advanced planning. I'm just thinking of a group. Quite often we will have a team, and by the way, we welcome teams to come and experience Northern India with Telesia Ministries. We welcome teams to come and work with us. And when you're um, on your own planning um, for a t- your team to go and to work with a, with a native uh, ministry or a native uh, work, you, if you plan ahead and you tell that, that leadership, hey, I don't want to just minister to your church or your organization. I'm challenging you to get, to get out of your comfort zone as a native leader and get out in your community and invite the other Christian groups to join. Maybe you're an international group coming and you're going to help in teaching. Maybe you're helping to fund a, a training program for this pastor who's going to put it together. Quite often they are stuck in their own denomination, their own organization, and you challenge them. You get out and network. I want to see at least 10 other organizations participating, represented in the training, minute, training program that we're going to teach in. That helps that native pastor to get out of his little, his little uh, cell uh, uh, click. And, and that, now you are, when you come to teach, you're going to impact the whole area because you're impacting all these other pastors and leaders. They're going to take what you teach back to their local area. You're going to reach way more than if you just settled for this little guy's church members coming to your conference. Oh, that is such a great. And I love how I love how everything that you're sharing with us today too is not only mentoring us that that we're listening to and learning from this, but you're teaching us how to help to mentor them by our own actions and even our expectations mm-hmm. when we go. That's awesome. Yes. Okay, we have just a few minutes left. The four mm-hmm. step process of funding native ministry in developing nations. Okay, great. Well, step one is relationship first. Like I kind of said in the beginning, and I'll skim right through this one because I already did, don't have to start with money. It starts with relationship 
make sure that native person really is doing the scale and the, the, the activities of work that he says he is. And especially make sure that they're in a strategic unreached area. There's a lot of people that they need to be supporting their own work. They don't need to be dependent on foreign funding anymore. They got 30% Christian. The believers got to start giving. Okay. So that's kind of point number two. Point number one, relationship first. Uh, it doesn't have to start with money. Number two, make sure that they are putting in their own local funding too. And uh, don't, let it, uh, don't let them expect all of it from you, especially if it's a heavily evangelized area. They need to support it themselves, mostly. Okay, number three, um, what, do you, what to support? What should we support? Well, quite often the native leaders will want you to give them personal financial support for their personal living expenses. That's usually the last place you want to go. The first place, the first way to engage with finance to help an unreached area of the world is to help with training programs, help them bring those leaders together to a training where they're going to be taught and trained the word of God and or provide ministry tools that's like Bibles, bicycles so they can get out to that village various types of ministry tools to help them. Probably not a Jeep and probably not a building, okay? That's down the road. You get a big ministry going and eventually you might need those. What to support? Training programs and ministry tools. Um, Finally, number four, very important, hold them accountable. Any funding you give to a native ministry, they should be sending you reports, photos, testimonies, spreadsheets, receipts, everything. You should require that. And that helps them to grow in their uh, honesty and accountability before God, as well as it helps you to know that your money is going in the right place. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time and it is so exciting to hear what God is doing in India, and I'm excited for you guys to consider going. So as you have the opportunity to do a speaking trip to India, remember to pray through first, are you the one to go or the one to send? Are you personally ready to go? And do you have the funding to go? Pray through all of these things. Uh, take into consideration all this great training we've had from Liana today, and be sure to visit her over at tellasia.org. Tell asia.org. This is Marnie Swedberg. You've joined us for another edition of Marnie's Friends, and it's always so fun to have you along. Um, Always fun to be able to share this information with you and pray with you about what God is doing in your life. Can't wait to see the rest of everything. When we get to heaven, you'll hear the rest of the story of all that God has done and is doing. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See you next time at Marnie's Friends. Bye-bye for now.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.